Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. And we're joined today by our very special guest, Jack Perks. Hello, Jack. Hi, Jack. How are we doing? Not too bad. How are you doing? Yeah, not not too bad. It's uh, it's nice. Is it? I don't normally do podcasts later at night, so this is this is getting near my bedtime now. <laughs> Lightweight. Yeah, You're I not am. the only one. You're not the only one. Well, <laughs> Quarter nine. I mean, I'm normally in my PJs, tucked in bed by now. Uh, it's all those early starts in photography. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It's the early mornings. Yeah. All right. Well, Jack's no stranger to podcast. He has his own podcast, the Bearded Tip podcast, some of you may know. We'll talk a bit more about that at the end, I think. But Jack, we like to start our podcast with our latest sightings. And as the guest, you get to go first. Um, yeah. So this morning, there was a report of an otter not too far from my house. And I thought, well, I've got to go and have a look at that. And didn't find the otter, unfortunately, but did find two kind of big heads of carp that it had polished off, which was quite uh, quite cool to see. And there was a kingfisher on the pond. I'm Unger's Pond in Nottingham, if anyone anyone knows that. So that was quite nice to see. Apart from that, did see some dippers the other day. Did a film for Country File filming dippers. So that was quite nice. I love dippers. They're a very underrated bird, like little brown jobby, but they, um, they're beautiful. So they're kind of the more interesting stuff that I've seen recently. Oh, yeah, I like dippers, even though they eat caddisfly larva, which are really cool. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, they are amazing little birds, though. I remember spending, um, when I worked at a certain tourist attraction as a cave guide, where the river runs through out the caves. I actually spent a couple of years following a family of, of dippers on that river. And um, we were all devastated when the caves actually flooded one year and destroyed the nest because it flooded the whole valley. Oh. But it was yeah. great to see them every single day. But yeah, oh, they cool are cool birds. How about you, Vic? I actually have some really exciting garden nature news. And that is that I thought, because we actually had a day where it didn't rain, it's the first one in a long time here, I thought I'd go and check the front garden, you know, just see if there was anything exciting appearing. And I do actually have another bee orchid rosette in my front garden. So I cannot wait to see if that flowers later on this year. And these are wild bee orchids as well. I mean, listeners all know that we kind of followed the story of my bee orchid from flower one through to flower 10 last year during lockdown. So I'm hoping that this one's going to do the same. How do they colonise your garden, Vicky? Because I don't know a lot about orchids, isn't it? Because you can't just plant an orchid, can you? Don't they have to have like a root network or something? They have specific kind of soil fauna that they need for ah. fauna in the soil. So that there's, it's quite an intricate little relationship that they have with particular areas. And certainly with wild orchids, if you dig them up and transplant them, chances are they'll actually die. They won't survive. We don't actually know how this one appeared here. So we've been in this house, I think, for about six years now. From the moment we've moved in, we've only ever cut the grass twice a year and really, really surprised last year to see a bee orchid appear. Now, you know, once they can take up to seven years to appear, so they could, they're quite, it's quite a long process. But there seems to be some debate, you know, how they get into kind of gardens, really, whether it's it's the result of birds or invertebrates so you they couldn't can... just go to a shop buy a load of bee orchid seeds and bop them down and expect them to come up the next year no no okay no not at all I mean this was a genuine shock to me a good one when it appeared last year because I looked at it and went that doesn't look like a common spotted because we've had common spotted pop up before I was like it's not a common spotted orchid but it's definitely an orchid and just waited and then 
turns out to be a bee orchid. It's, it's really quite rare to have a bee orchid growing in your garden. Yeah, yeah, um, they're good. They're a good looking orchid. They're absolutely fascinating. And then, I mean, the scientist in me loved the fact that I had that opportunity because of lockdown to actually follow the the whole flowering process of this of the same plant. Now, normally, I'd never ever get the chance to actually do that because. I'd be away or I'd be doing other stuff. I wouldn't be able to keep going back and visiting a plant on a nature reserve. But to have it right outside my office, it meant I could actually follow the entire flowering journey. So I have that document, that photographic kind of story of from the first flower right the way through to all 10 flowers. It's absolutely amazing. So how about you, Neil? Not too much report. I've not been out of my house since the last podcast. I've been in my garden a few times, just normal garden birds and stuff. But I was out because I did the live podcast, and we might have seen with the tadpoles, putting the creatures back in the pond. And there was at least 10, 15 tadpoles swimming around from last year's spawn still in my pond, which is quite cool. Some of them getting quite big. What causes that, Neil? Why, well, why do you get these common frogs overwintering? Tune into the frog episode. No, no seriously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> normally, it's cold temperature. So quite often, ah. sort of Highlands of Scotland and stuff, they'll almost as normal situation over winter i think in my pond it's that whole do you know as they grow that the ones that are more advanced will release a hormone to stunt the others they sort of stagger the emergence I've heard of and that. i think there's just so many in my pond there was 11 clumps of spawn and it's only two by three meters max my pond and there's basically no predators other than blackbirds because <laughs> it was fairly freshly done this year so yeah i think it was just cheerily maybe a slight shortage of food to some degree but the others stunting the other ones and but then I wandered over towards my water butt and in it, they looked like a clump of seeds. And I'd seen them before, but when I shone the light on them, they looked a bit wrong, the seeds. They looked too shiny or not shiny enough. I can't quite work out. <laughs> they didn't look right, basically. So I went in close and there was a clump about a centimetre by two centimetres across of springtails. Ah. Just a pile of them. Um, and I photographed them a couple of days later and there's some dead ones and some live ones all mixed in of at least two or three species. I'll put the pictures up at some point, but they're all sort of because most springtails are hydrophobic. So they can just walk across the water because they're so small as well. A bit like pond skaters, but the whole body repels the water. And yeah, they seemed yeah, it's a bit of a weird thing <laughs> to see. There's a mass of springtails and they can get out quite easily. There's no... Seems to be nothing keeping them in there, but they seem to just kind of keep clumping together, which is a bit weird. Must be some behaviour for some reason. Yeah. We were going to do a podcast on them, actually, but we ran out of winter to do it in. Well, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. planned to in the other one. Yeah, over, isn't it? there'll be another one. There'll be another winter, hopefully. It might go on forever. <laughs> well, to be fair, we quite often get snow in February and March here. So That's true. still consider that actually, to be winter. Yeah, well, I was thinking more that we planned out the rest of winter. Well, we have, to be fair. <laughs> That's about it, really, for me. Apart from my daughter brought back some subjects for me to photograph inside in lockdown, which was very thoughtful of her, in the form of head lice. So I've got them to enjoy. Lovely. <laughs> so I am a, a walking habitat at the moment, probably. We haven't checked yet. <laughs> so that now everyone's scratching their head at home, I can guarantee it. And if, it, and if you weren't, you are now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, you, you um, do those. Uh, they, there is still plenty of stuff you can find outside in the garden, though, don't you? Neil? Oh yeah, my, my daughter's very thoughtful like that. She doesn't want me getting cold. I think. <laughs> so just bring them into the house instead. <laughs> she's been off school for three weeks. That's what's funny, you know. In a lockdown, the schools are shut, and she's still got it. <laughs> oh, she's gonna love this when she's older and listens to this podcast. <laughs> Make it sound like a competition, Neil. Who can get the most head lice? Might be my wife, but I better not say that. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> be in trouble now. Yeah. I actually not listen to this. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Well, let's move swiftly on from that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, we're just going to stick with the two news stories because we want to chat to Jack longer tonight. This is a story that came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's experts are calling for urgent action to protect England's ponds, ditches and streams. Basically, under EU regulations, which we're sort of kind of following, let's not get into that. <laughs> Why does this keep coming up every time we do a podcast? Unfortunately, conservation regs are linked in with EU regs, but let's move past that. At the moment, they're only required, that's the Environment Agency, to look at rivers and lakes of 50 hectares or above. But there's no obligation to monitor the richness of life in ditches, ponds and small streams. But the problem with this is that's 80% of our water bodies that are not being monitored. And they support 70% of freshwater species overall. So we're not monitoring most of freshwater life, basically. And for those that have actually listened to this podcast (laughs) more than once or twice, or have ever come across Fergal Sharky on Twitter, you will know that our rivers are in an awful, awful state, by and large, with a few exceptions. As Dr Jeremy Biggs put it, he's from the Freshwater Habitats Trust, Uh, Small water bodies are at least as important as big water bodies because there are a lot more of them and they're very rich biologically. So any thoughts on that, Jack? Well, we always get that stat, don't we? Like Our rivers have never been healthier. That, that always goes around but like you have to think our rivers were, were essentially open sewers you know in the 1800s and still pretty bad up to the 60s they, they were biologically dead a lot of them so if you started with nothing anything's going to look better and our yeah. rivers are better than that but you know they're just a cocktail of chemicals and pollutants and all kinds of nasty rubbish i had to try very hard not to swear then and use rubbish instead of what i wanted to say but there's some real nasty stuff in there and there's a lot of work that needs to be done without naming any names. There's a lot of organisations that need to pull their finger out and, and really crack on with it. Because, yeah, there's rivers in particular are pretty bad. I guess, and you'll know this better than me, Neil, because you work more with ponds. But I guess with ponds being a closed water body, they're not as badly affected by pollutants. Uh, is there is fair? still a decline in them. Uh, the theory goes that if you dig a pond in the right place, it will stay cleaner, easier than a whole river catchment. But even then, you know, farmland ponds, and because they're more isolated, if you haven't got enough ponds in the landscape, the creatures can't get to them. And, right, okay. You know, things can die out if there's not enough in an area and stuff like that. It's, you know how it's, all this you need interconnectivity like step- and stuff works. You need it's, stepping stones almost of ponds. Exactly, exactly yeah, okay. that, yeah. okay. But yeah, you know, it's, it's true that uh, the ponds are suffering too because a lot of them are sort of halfway between the polluting land and the river. So they're catching the, some of the same pollutants. But Right. But yeah, no, I agree that they're, they're in a pretty awful state. And talking, I mean, I've spoke to Fergal and, and a few other people and the best thing he says is write to your MP. It sounds quite clinical and, and, and whatever, but like you, if you want to affect change, write to them and let them know that this is something that means something to you. And we need to kind of put pressure on some of these companies. And obviously, if you do see a, a really obvious pollution incident, then it needs reporting straight away, ideally to the water companies, because they should take action. Because obviously you would report to the EA, but they don't always get on it. Yeah. So if you report it to a water company, they have they have to fix it. Because although the EA are pretty, well, I don't want to be too harsh on them, but quite often seem to be pretty useless at this. It's worth reporting to them anyway, because then if someone does a freedom of information, they yeah. have to tell that someone's reported it and they've done nothing about it. And hopefully I, um, it's at some point that'll have an effect. I do feel for the EA because, mm. yeah, I'm not I'm not slagging oh, them off. Some brilliant people on, on their staff, are, just like Natural England. Lots of people, good people work for them. It's yeah. just other things, isn't it? The people on the ground are phenomenal, but the mm. amount of staff cuts that they've had are ridiculous like any government agency for various reasons we don't necessarily need to go into but you know they've had so i mean like the whole of the east of england there's only two people who cover uh, fishery bailiffs the whole of the east of england that so if someone's poaching from hull all the way down to essex it's just two people how the hell can they police that you know it's it's 
it's really, and I don't know what the number would have been before, but about a dozen people or something like that, which isn't, which still isn't great, but it's better. Yeah. So. It's frustrating, is it? I mean, you've actually swum in these rivers. I haven't had the courage to stick my head in the water in the Stour because I can see what looks especially like sewage fungus growing in some spots and i'm only yeah, yeah. two miles yeah, downstream yeah, yeah. from a sewer so it's a miracle that i'm not riddled with or maybe i am riddled with diseases and i'm not It'd aware explain of a lot it would <laughs> <laughs> that would explain why my left leg is green and why i've got <laughs> those lumps in places i won't mention but yeah it, it's i've never been ill actually considering how many rivers and lakes i've swam in and i've drank i've never actually got it i reckon my immune system is as hard as nails because the amount of stuff I'm gulping down. I'm probably anything yeah, I mean, would just be like, come near you, but like, actually, do you know what? No, let's just go find something else. <laughs> I think there's probably the cure to COVID in me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> the way that it that it's going, which I kind of joke, but I guess if you're exposed to bacteria a lot, then your immune system yeah. does get harder. So I think, you know, I don't get ill very often. So maybe that's why. Yeah, the amount of times I've splashed pond trays in my face and stuff, I must have been exposed to Val's disease. I don't know how many times. Well, but, apparently uh, there's no cure. So, I mean, you're only going to get it once, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's different strains again, isn't there? But they're not yeah. into disease. <laughs> and apparently the main risk with that is if you've got a cut anyway. So um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And my stomach eats my cooking, so it's probably pretty hard. So let's move on. Those that have been watching Nature Twitter and reading, I think it was The Guardian it was in, wasn't it? It uh, was, yeah. There was an article on Celtic reptile amphibians. And the article, which I won't mention the author, he usually writes very good articles, actually. But it's one of those ones, I wouldn't say it was badly written, but you could read it in different ways, I think. And in an effort to portray... Do you want to explain who Celtic reptile amphibians are, Jack? Because you know them better than I do. Yeah, uh, basically they're a pair of legends. So <laughs> they're, they're two young young men. They're both 17, Harvey Tweets and Tom Whitehurst. And I've known them for about a year and a half now, so not that long. But they are incredibly passionate conservationists, particularly with reptiles and, and amphibians. And it started off as a hobby for them with exotics, but they quickly were more interested in, in British and European species and, and breeding them and looking after them. And their main ethos is to keep them outdoors. So in safe areas, contained areas, not so they can go loose, but because it's healthier for them in terms of getting UV, more space. Which, you know, if you keep an animal in a tank in your house, it's, it can be quite sad and, and whatever. But for keeping them outside, they're healthier and, and it's a lot better. And they were kind of championing that. And more recently, they're looking at some of the species of herptiles that we would have had in Britain, which have gone extinct in the last few hundred or even thousands of years and potentially trying to reintroduce those where possible. And I think that's where the article came under fire, because people just assumed that they were just going to get a a box of frogs and turtles and, and dump them there's a it's a lot more complicated and um more thought out than that so, yeah i mean i i actually i read the article and then after reading the article i then went on and kind of checked the the guys out a little bit more and it's quite a lot of difference there between what the article's saying and what you know what they're trying to do and i think it's fantastic you've got these two guys with this passion enthusiasm and drive to want to do this and they've got some really good backers there that are helping them and then you know and i read the article again i thought i can see how parts of this article can be completely misconstrued it can be taken the wrong way and if you think about most people that are probably going to read that article now I don't normally read stuff in the newspapers because let's face it it's you have to take a lot of it with a pinch of salt yeah. it's not necessarily written for say the likes of us scientists people that are in you know, into nature and conservation in that kind of way and I have to admit I read it and thought you know what I mean I know people that aren't in the world of nature and wildlife that would read that and then probably be up in arms about it so you can kind of see how 
it could be taken the wrong way or could be taken completely out of context maybe is the better way of putting it so some parts of it by the general public as a whole yeah definitely it could be interpreted in different ways and you only need to look on facebook and it was just like a, a whole oh again i'm trying not to swear now but a whole uh yeah. it was a mess it was a, a mess, mess on, yeah, yeah it and, was. and uh, and it was and it was a bit like Chinese whispers. So you'd follow the thread of people talking and then someone's like, oh, well, they're planning to do this. You're like, where are you getting that from? And like, well, I don't think that, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is just rolling out of control. I don't think what helped was there was a I'm not going to name any names, but there was a nature author that had a reasonable following went on a massive thread. That was a little bit. Yeah, this is ridiculous. These people are totally yes. irresponsible. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And a few people there, there was I hate to say it. But it came across as gatekeeping, as in we're the conservationists of reptiles. Keep out of it a little bit to me. You yeah. know, I don't think they meant it like that, to be fair. Yeah. But the way I looked at it, which was why I got annoyed. I was probably in a bad mood anyway. <laughs> but the reason I got annoyed was there's two 17-year-old lads, right? Whether what they're doing is right or wrong, some of the, the language people were using. If I was 17 years old and thinking, oh, I want to really help conservate. Oh, I had this idea. But if that's what it's like, I won't bother. And yeah. I, that might people might say, oh, you're just being ridiculous and overstating it. But... You know, people read this stuff and yeah. people form, you know, well, it's, it wasn't exactly welcoming to the new guys, was it? No, Do you know what I, mean? it's... I, I think sometimes as well, like some of the organisations, they've probably been inundated with people mm. contacting them about this article. Oh, having, yeah. You know, these people having not read anything else and just read this article are then banging on the door of these conservation charities. And, you know, sometimes they just feel they just need to put a response out there, sometimes immediately, or sometimes they'll take their time and just put it out further down the line once they've maybe researched the whole thing a bit better. But I think sometimes they get stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's like, do we respond immediately to say, look, this is our thoughts or whatever? Or, you know, do we not say anything, leave it and then come back later? It, it can be a hard time for the conservation charities. Yes, I think especially at the moment with... You know, with a lot of, you know, with a lot of situations that they find themselves in generally, I mean, regardless of the pandemic and what's that, what that's done to them. I think they probably suffered a bit because of their age and you get people who are twice. I mean, I'm nearly twice as old as them, which is depressing in itself. Oh God, so, I've just done so, the maths. So, so, there's, so there's probably, there's probably people, I mean, like Vicky must be three or four times the size. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. yeah, yeah thanks, not, Jack. Not, yeah. Not, not the size, sorry, the, the age, which probably isn't much better. All, all I'm going to say is that at least I look younger than the two of you. That's yeah, true. She does, yeah, actually. This came out last episode. <laughs> but they are incredibly knowledgeable. The thing is, as well, that they've got this network. of It's not just these two guys breeding frogs in their garden and they're going to, you know, release them willy-nilly. They've got this network of, of support from all kinds of different groups and people. And, you know, they've said they're not going to do anything. They're, you know, they're going to follow it legally. And, and just before we start a recording, I mentioned to you guys that ARG have published a, a response and that ARG are in, oh, sorry, I shouldn't mention group, should I? But, well, let's see who's mentioned no, it. No, no, no. Their response is pretty good, so we let them. So they, you know, they, they have spoken to Celtic and, and they're both, you know, completely amicable. And they, I think they've cleared the air because, like I say, there was so much Chinese whispers and they're both on the same page and, and it's kind of come to a nice agreement, which is nice to see because often it doesn't always work out that way. So I think and that's hope, quite hopefully good. the other organisation will do something similar soon. So um, I hope by the time we've put this out, they will have their initial response. I thought was accusing them of stuff that five minutes looking on their Facebook page or website would have shown they weren't doing that. But because um, they've got people who have 
bred for zoos and stuff on board on their trustees haven't they so it's not like it like you say it's not like it's just two 17 year olds going oh let's introduce a load of this reptile which we haven't really checked on you know and stuff like that and it's all proper quarantined and everything like yeah that. i think that was the concern a lot of people were like oh well, they could, you know they might spread citrin but you know they do test all their animals get tested for diseases so if anything was gonna if anything got the green light to get released it's not you know they would do all the tests and, and feasibilities for habitat and you know i, I think You've got to have a fine balance. Yes, I agree with the points people were saying that we need the habitat there and, and not everywhere is necessarily ideal, but there are lots of places which would be suitable. So why not? You know, yeah. is, is my, well, is my thing. If it. it's people going, there's no habitat, there'd be no habitat to put them in, but they're looking ahead and hoping that some of yeah. the rewilding happens and yeah. then there will be you know if we start getting river catchments for the beavers there might be habitat for a lot of this stuff yeah and then that the you know the amphibians just become part of the food web and if you get different species they feel different niches and you know it's all got to be done carefully and considered and stuff like that which, yeah. but that's what they're aiming to do yeah yeah, yeah i can understand i i mean kind of like check these guys out and i think it's great and i said I, th- I think you know the enthusiasm and everything is fantastic and it's so good to see in young people as well yeah and two young lads really kind of throwing everything into this as well you know i think it's absolutely fantastic you know and, and i can see that obviously there's going to be the concern of if things i mean not saying that they would escape from from those guys but obviously things have been imported to the uk before you know like we have the perez's frog or iberian water frog down on some set levels that is not a native species that's never been a native species no to the uk and this is one of the green members of the green frog family you know that's actually now i mean it's completely naturalized and you can hear it it's down there it's not going anywhere there's some debate as to how it actually got here in the first place but you know with all the work they're doing on some set levels it is spreading but it's now actually providing this food source for the ever-growing population of great white egrets herons bitterns and everything else because i would argue with that obviously in an ideal world you would hope that you could just get rid of that non-native and and that would be gone but in the real world you can't you're not gonna be able to get rid of all of those frogs and although yeah. it's not native it fills the same niche as a native pool frog would if you swapped out that perez and you put the native pool frog it'd be exactly the same thing wouldn't it really the same it fills yeah. the same niche in terms of it, feeding it fills the same niche definitely definitely so yeah it, it'd be better if they weren't there and it'd be better if they were pool frogs but at the end of the day they're just filling a niche that's not being filled there so yeah you know yeah I'll just make a couple of points. One, the disease risk thing. I think the one of the main reasons that's come up is because when they first started introducing natterjacks, there was an issue with citrid because a lot of the natterjacks were bred in captivity by hobbyists that had non-British species right. and the citrid got contaminated. But mm. that was back before we were really aware of the risks and stuff. So uh, okay. um, natterjacks, apparently, certainly some populations have a higher citrid rate than sort of normal and on average. And it's because of that. And I think that's what a lot of people are a bit paranoid about, which is I think is completely understandable. But, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. but we know about it now so we can mitigate for it. And one of the other concerns was, oh, these things aren't native. They want to introduce. Well, one, beavers, we know 100% sure are native. And look at the rickroll they've had to go through to come back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think you have to worry about them being rushed out. And secondly, a lot of these species, the fossil record is going to be rubbish. So yeah, just because I... there isn't any fossils of tree frogs, I'm not saying we should definitely introduce them, but just to be clear here, but just because there isn't any fossil tree frogs doesn't mean they were never here. And yeah. you know as well, Jack, about the, there's, there's like an old naturalists in the Cambridgeshire Fens, I think it was, have records of small frogs that lived on the leaves around the pond and on bramble yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and it yeah, just, yeah. If you were describing a tree frog, <laughs> it would be it would pretty much it be what be they said. Yeah. So, well, Celtic, um, um, not not to 
plug my podcast, but Celtic came on mine. And when I was going talked, to mention that at the end. Yeah, yeah they they <laughs> yeah. did come on mine, yeah. and we talked about frog fossils. And obviously, and, and and Vicky will know this being you know frog lady. Frogs are very dainty, and their bones are very small. So the chances of finding good specimens of frog skeletons are going to be pretty slim, aren't they? Yeah. So you know, I mean, and, and again, historically, I guess in medieval times, more frogs, agile frogs, common frogs, they would have just been lumped in. People wouldn't have known that they were different species. They would have just been like, oh, well, they're all just a frog, aren't they? It's only later on that we would have distinguished those. Case in point, in Europe, they're using a word for toad because they just lumped them together as one. Yeah, Vicky yeah, introduced it, me to that. That was really yeah, interesting. Yeah, everything is known as a frog. Yeah. You know, they, they don't distinguish between frogs and toads. Now, obviously, you've got spadefoot toads and nasjack toads. We call, you know, they're, they're toads. They are in the, the toad families, but they lump everything together as a frog. But, yeah. you know, when when you go back, and I was saying, talk about the fossil record, like naturalists, like years and years and years ago, when these things may have been here, you know, most people probably couldn't distinguish between most of the green frog family. That's the pool frog, the marsh frog, yeah. the Iberian water frog. They're actually, because there's so much variation between the, like within the species themselves in terms of colour variation, unless you can really pick one up and, and go to town on it, and really look at it it's very hard to tell them apart you can apparently tell them apart by their call they do have slightly different calls yeah but pretty much the only way to really properly tell them apart is genetics but then these frogs also interbreed and hybridize very very easily well i was going to say i think a lot of the as far as i'm aware a lot of the the british population of marsh frogs and pool frogs are mongrels aren't they their their, their genetics are all over the well, place the north kent ones you know the ones that are or and stuff like that by the call they're perez frogs oh, right. on paper so it's all very confusing but yeah so going back to finding the specimens channeling my paleontological background what they call its preservation potential so if you've got a great big animal, like an elephant, and it dies in a river basin, gets buried very quickly, it's got good preservation potential. Yeah. You've got a frog in a pond full of leaves with tiny bones and lots of things going to eat it. Mm. The leaves are going to make the water acidic and that bone's going to last five minutes. Yeah. And of course, there's the other flip side, which is a lot of these ponds have been filled in and we're now farming them. So the sediment that contains the bones, <laughs> we're, not, we're not digging up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, we're not going to find them even if they're there. So, but yeah, do go and listen to Jack's podcast. I bet you don't know what episode it is off by hand, do? You? But if you get it's scroll the one down with Kel- it's the one with Celtic in it. Yeah, Celtic. <laughs> it's quite easy to see. It's not but, that long ago. So I remember listening to it. It's not that long Christmas ago, no. But it's food for thought for people, isn't it? You know, to think yeah. about. That's it for the news. So, well, we've already got stuck in talking, Jack. Most people will know you from probably popping up on Springwatch or Countryfile or your YouTube channel. But you've done quite a lot of telly and either in front or behind the camera but how did you get into all of this yeah good question i don't know really <laughs> well, so i, I so I, I i did a, a b-tech course in photography and then i, I did a degree in falmouth and in, in cornwall for three years and originally i just wanted to be a stills photographer i was like right i'm going to do stills that's all i'm going to do I'm not interested in video and then i moved back up to nottingham and quickly realized that stills is very very difficult to make a sole income from i don't know if vicky would have agree with that definitely but, uh, yeah so i won't get my violin out too soon but yeah it's a tricky industry to make a sole income from so i thought well you know i want to keep doing this but i need to find another avenue really and and video is, a, is even though you think that video and photography would be very similar industries they're actually very different and the video industry is thriving there's way more avenues into it there's way more money which is you know i'm not i don't i don't want to sound like i'm money 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 
but I need to eat and I need to keep the lights on. So, you know, you have to think about those things. And the video industry was really the way forward for me. So even though I'd, I'd spent five years training as a photographer, I was like, all right, that was all pointless. And now, but now I'm going to have to learn how to be a videographer myself. It wasn't pointless. That's a very harsh way of putting it. But um, yeah, so and then it's just kind of thinking about it. And because I'd done underwater in Falmouth, in, in Cornwall, in the sea, I wanted to carry on doing underwater. But obviously Nottingham's not famed for its coastline. So I thought, well, I want to carry on doing underwater. So what do I do? Well, I'll do rivers and, and lakes and things. And I quickly realised that, I mean, as Neil likes to point out, there's about four of us or five of us that do <laughs> freshwater underwater. So there's bugger all anyone doing it. And I thought, OK, well, there's got to there's some kind of niche there. Let, let's have a go. And it's been a, a downward spiral of chaos from there, really. I would say there's, there's definitely more opportunities in the in the video world than the stills world I mean I well as, as you know Jack I, I don't refer myself as a wildlife photographer I'm a wildlife research and photographer and yeah you know for me I'm a scientist first and you know I, I actually love all the kind of nature writing research and everything as well but I could definitely understand why you would go down that route like I said you have to live you have to earn a living and and there are so many more opportunities I think in video because less people will go into it more people think I mean there's a lot of people out, th- out there that think you know photography is a really easy thing to do and then make money from yeah and it's really not but you don't get the same number of people thinking that about video no i would say anyone can make money from wildlife photography but very few people can make a living from it yeah Yeah. you know anyone can bring an image on alamy and earn a tenner every 10 years or whatever it is because you know stock is dead 10 quid it's more like 10p <laughs> yeah i think it probably probably i got a statement from rspb pictures the other day and i think that was 13 quid for six months and i was like oh god might as well jump in the river now not for recreation and they're but... pretty good rspb compared to yeah the well they stopped letting in any new photographers now because i think mm. they're just a little bit a bit worried about it but yeah and, and the video market is a little bit bigger and yeah because not many people do video like say recreationally like but a lot of people are hobbyist photographers and there's some very good amateur uh, hobby photographers, but you don't get many amateur filmmakers. People tend to go down the professional route with it. You get people who dabble, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, you and you and it, I think, do you know what I think the biggest barrier is? And I, I wonder if you agree with this, is that people will take video, but the editing, a photo you can edit in five minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. a video you're looking at an evening if you're doing anything longer than sort of five, ten minutes, oh. really, aren't you? At least. Yeah, well, there's, there's editing and, and also, you know, if you don't know what format TV want it, then someone might get in touch and say, oh, we'd love to use this clip. And then you're like, oh, well, it's 720 on 30 frames and like, oh, that's no good. We can't use that. So there's all these kind of considerations. I guess people don't know what the going rates are and things like that. So there's there's so much more to think about with it. But it's always, you know, it, it, it's great working in TV and it's nice to, you know, see your footage on tele when you're doing it. I mean, I've got I think I'm on Winterwatch, on, although this had already aired by now, but I'm on Winterwatch on Thursday with a piece about a, a bait ball in Rutland Water. Like millions and millions of roach gather in this harbour in, in Rutland and then the trout and the pike attack them like tuna. And that, that was a, a, an amazing bit to film. Actually, it was the day after my wedding. It was my honeymoon, technically. So I left, left my wife and went filming fish, which, you know, I guess is fairly typical for me. Yeah, it's great to see that when that when when you do kind of work like that and you get to see it on TV. I meant to say congratulations to you at the start of the episode, actually, because I haven't actually spoken to you since you've got married. No, yeah. no, I suppose we haven't. No, no. Well, she's still with me, so that's good. Yeah, that's a good start. Well, there's a lockdown, so she can't go anywhere. So that's true. We'll see when it lifts <laughs> if she still hangs around. Yeah. One of the things you're famous for is your project where you filmed every fish in the UK. Every so, freshwater. Every fresh. Sorry, every freshwater yeah. fish in the UK. Yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah. 
That's um, all right. I'll let you off. Yeah. So, well, there's about 400 marine ones, and most of those live deep sea. So that because everyone's like, yeah. "Are you going to do the marine ones now?" And I'm like, "Nope, no, I'm not," because that would just be ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, I, I consider mean, doing all the freshwater invertebrates, and went, "No." Jesus, <laughs> I've kind of got most of the types now, though. So, how many freshwater yeah. invertebrates would there be? There'd be thousands. Oh well, there's 40 or 50 sort of caddis flies, mayflies. Yeah. Then you've got the dragonfly nymphs, so another 40 odd there. Then there's hordes of water beetles, so there's at least yeah. 100 odd of those. Then you've got all the fly larvae. Oh, God. <laughs> Mosquito, yeah, all the mosquitoes and life, game flies. Life, life's too short for fly larvae. Yeah, what, oh, don't forget all the uh, annelid worms. Yeah, oh god, Leeches. yeah. You can't, no, don't don't forget them, Neil. No, yeah, oh god, yeah. We, I've, I've, I have got pictures. I haven't got video. I've got pictures of pretty much most of families or forms, what you call them, you know. But yeah, let's not go down that route. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it in two years like you were trying. <laughs> Nobody. Well, it took seven. It took seven yeah. years to do it. I mean, I, I originally I thought this all. So there's 54 species, give or take. Some people would include Berber. I would say they're extinct. So you know. Yeah sodden there's 54 anyway and i thought okay this will take a year i'll go up and down the country got a little bit of crowdfunding to help me pay for that and within the first year i think i did about 45 so i did the vast majority of the year thought, oh this is this isn't too bad and then it took a further six years to tick off all the others so as far as i'm aware i'm the first and only person who can say that they've seen every single freshwater fish species in britain i'm not aware i might not be but as far as i'm aware i am and that includes non-natives it includes marine fish that enter freshwater and obviously all the, all the resident species as well in there yeah That's a couple of them cool. you had did you get sturgeon was captive wasn't it because it's just like yeah i mean yes yeah, some of the some of them did have to be captive yeah so i didn't stipulate they're in the i mean the chances of finding a wild atlantic sturgeon in the uk oh. i mean you've you've got more chance of i was gonna say winning the lottery but it'd be more than that it'd be ridiculous yeah. that being said <laughs> well yeah exactly <laughs> finding a burbot tap dancing you'd be more yeah. chance of that but there are sturgeon in, in the Garonne River in France, and it's the last place that they breed in the in, in Europe, actually. And that's not a million miles away from the UK. So in theory, you could get a straggler from yeah. that population because sturgeon are like salmon. They breed in fresh water, but they live in the sea. There could be one. Uh, the, the trouble with sturgeon, and this is why they went extinct in the UK, is they're just crap at getting over passes. They can't jump. They can't any kind of any form of barrier. Then that's it. They're done. And you think, how many rivers in the UK have no barriers? Well, there's none, really. So that's why they're not. And the Seven Rivers Trust are hoping to open up the River Seven. And who knows? They are planning to eventually try and restock sturgeon in the River Seven. So that would be amazing. So hopefully within our lifetime, we may see sturgeon back in the uk which i think would be a fantastic uh, thing because these get the, the the largest known one was 880 pounds that's a huge that's bigger than you know nearly bigger than a bear it's a big animal so you know seeing that back in the uk would be phenomenal yeah except the daily mail headlines <laughs> I <can> imagine <laughs> sturgeon headbutts tory child like that yeah, yeah. or child sorry that's probably some poor point. child was trying to swim and a sturgeon swam within 50 foot of it and the child was scared yeah. we need to get rid of all of them <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Get the harpoons out. I can see all the crocodile sightings as well already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's well, one of the theories behind the Loch Ness Monster is that it was a sturgeon. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. That classic think, theory. Because they were there. They were in the River Ness, so they could have got into Loch Ness easily. No, I still prefer the alien theory the mutant amphibian theory and the one where we don't see it all the time because it swims through Inverness every so often and people don't notice. <laughs> it's my favourite one. Yeah. 
makes and, sense. And isn't there a couple of locks as well? Like, as in, um, not lake locks, I mean, <laughs> you know, barriers on, on that. Yeah, there are. There's a canal. There's a canal yeah. there. So we would have to wait for someone to open the canal yeah. for it. Well, Scots are very kind, Jim. They are, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Did, did you realise it actually just gets out, opens it, and then gets back in again? Oh, of course. How daft are we? Yeah, it <laughs> oh, would. Honestly, it, yeah. guys, come on. <laughs> They're like the velociraptors in uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, open <laughs> doors and locks. Yeah. <laughs> Clever girl. I assume you talk about the like, Nessie rather than Victor. But, um... Yeah. Both. Both. Both, indeed. Oh, good, good, good getting out there. <laughs> Nearly put you in a hole and you dug yourself out. But you're not just interested in fish, are you, Jack? It's a common misconception about yourself. Yeah. Like, people I... think I don't like pond creatures, but I like quite a lot of other things. Well, no, because yeah. you, you moved... Was it last year you moved house? Yeah, it was, yeah, in June. And you started redoing all the, the gardening and that? Yeah, that was great. I've really enjoyed doing that. So, um yeah, I get pigeonholed with fish, which is fine. I don't, you know, you've got to ride a niche. But I am, I'm interested in all nature. All of it interests me. And, and, and yeah, the wildlife gardening's really kind of um, kept me going. So I've, I've, I did a, 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 my pond's about four by four metres. Um, so I just, because my, my, my wife was like, I don't care what you do in the garden. I was like, you're going to regret saying that. I've uh, <laughs> I just did as big a pond. I'm actually working on a second pond now for, for fish. So I'm going to do a native fish pond because I've, I've only got crucians and tench in the wildlife pond because they don't really affect the tadpoles or anything so they're in there and then i want a fish pond to keep keep proper fish in it i've got a reptile housing unit which is actually what the, the celtic guys helped me build so i've got european pond turtle and midwife toads in that which are all they can't get out they're all kind of secure and then the lawn is now a wildflower meadow so i've just kind of mowed that sowed loads of seeds and i, I just can't wait for spring and summer i'm like each morning i run it's like christmas i run downstairs and look out the window and I'm like any flowers yet any flowers yet and i think when you came on my podcast vicky we were talking about signs of spring because it was that long ago but the first sign of spring for me is when you see a frog and and i did just before the winter i saw a fat a kind of plump female common frog in my pond i was so happy that she i don't know where she's come from because i'm as far as i'm aware there's no ponds near me but she was sat and i thought oh i hope she breeds in, in my pond this year so i keep looking for her. i've not seen her yet but i can't wait to get tadpoles in that pond you, so. you wait you wait till you get your first breeding frog so i know we oh, yeah. We put the pond in. It's been in quite a few years now. And when we moved in, we had lawn that had been cut with an inch of its life yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. probably every day and then decking. And then I had kind of a similar thing that you had, only obviously the other way around. When my husband said, we well, just do what you want in the garden. I was like, yeah, you don't really want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> As he then spent lockdown ripping up all the decking. Yeah, definitely. And it was a lot of decking. But yeah, we were really surprised. So the first year they didn't breed. But I, I was aware there were frogs in the garden because I would see them on a wet night if I just went out to see what was out and about. And then I think it was the pond had been in for just under a year of like the following year. They actually bred. And honestly, I, I don't think I've ever been more excited about anything in my life. It's when great. I saw that little so. clump of frog spawn in my pond, oh. I was just so ridiculously excited. So when it happens, you're going to be so excited. Well, my there you are. My mum's got a garden pond and, 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 you know, there's frogs in that. And in the spring, there can be, I don't know, because it's, it's a suburban garden in the middle of Nottingham. And sometimes she's got 40 or 50 frogs. It's ridiculous. It's alive with them. And you can hear this low, because common frogs have that, mm. you know, really low rumble. It's an amazing sound. If, if you don't spook them and listen to it, because obviously normally they're fairly silent, aren't they? It's a, it's a really... And it was almost quite relaxing. You can just shut your eyes and just listen to these frogs calling. So I'm hoping I kind of get that to the point in this garden. So fingers crossed. The cats haven't seen to bother this female frog, but if not, I'll, I'll get a shotgun or something. That'll sort it out. <laughs> um, we, we found, because we had a big problem with cats, because actually our next door neighbours, not the ones we have now, the previous ones, had dogs. And they okay. pretty much kept the cats at bay. 
yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but they've now gone and we've now got other neighbors so we now don't have the dogs in the garden and we started to see the cats coming back in and everything yeah and when we ripped up the decking we decided we were going to put paving slabs down but instead we thought well actually don't really want paving slabs it's gonna be such a faff to put them down and everything let's just put slate chippings down okay the cats hate it ah, absolutely because okay. it's really sharp yeah that makes sense so yeah. we've just got slate chippings down and yeah it's perfect habitat for loads of little invertebrates there's so many really cool little bugs and whatever living in amongst all the gaps and everything that the slate chippings create but then the cats don't like it because they can't walk on it well, frogs seem to be like a weird one with cats because obviously like most cats will go for i'm generalizing here but go for for mice and birds but some some cats will have a pop at frogs and other cats just don't like them and ignore them so i'm hoping that i've just got cats that ignore frogs i have got a sausage dog but i mean she's she's smaller than a cat but she quite happily chases. she sees them off you know but mm. obviously when the cats are in the gardens at night time and that's when the frogs are out so yeah i don't i don't get the cats killing birds anymore because they're not in the garden in the day but obviously when the frogs are out so i'm hoping they'll be all right but we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah you just have to keep an eye on them yeah we had a question from some bloke called nick baker who's uh, he yeah who's he <laughs> <laughs> and okay, on telly, I think. Well, or I, I, I wish him the best of luck. Hopefully, you know, he's probably just starting out. If he just, oh yeah, probably just, <laughs> if, he just yeah. Keep, if he just keeps going, he'll get there. Yeah, he <laughs> might end up being, you know, a childhood hero to some people Maybe. that start a podcast or say I don't know. But he asked a somewhat leading question: Who coined the phrase "fish twitcher"? And for people who don't know, Jack is sometimes referred to as the fish twitcher. So the, the first time I met Nick was we just bumped into each other at the Grant Arms. I didn't even I didn't know he was going to be there. It was just like, mm. oh, that's Nick Baker, mm. and yeah. And he went it's you the fish twitcher and you know and just started taking the mick out of me <laughs> but but yeah no it was actually the bbc so it wasn't i didn't say that myself it was on the very first series i worked on was the great british year which would have been about 2013 and that's when i just started my fish project and i mentioned it to the producer and said oh i'm going around the country looking for all these different fish and she said oh you're a bit like a twitcher and i was like what's a twitcher and I'm like well that's the person who goes looking for rare birds and travels great distances so i said oh well fish twitcher then basically and i went yeah so they started introducing me like that and country file always introduced i don't think the watch sometimes the watches do but it's kind of stuck from there and then i've just thought well if you can't beat them join them so i've embraced it so my instagram handle is is fish twitcher and i don't introduce myself because i think it sounds a bit like yeah I'd, I'd be like with pom man that was someone else yeah. calling me and I'd, i embraced it yeah but i don't tend to introduce myself no if i'm, if I'm talking to a camera club or something i don't go hello i'm jack perks the fish twitcher because it just sounds a bit cringy but yeah i don't yeah. you know if people want to list me as that then then whatever i've been called a lot worse than fish twitcher so i'll take that <laughs> some of that was me <laughs> yeah i think it was neil yeah i think it was i, think, I, think it was, was it, I wasn't the first to call you fish boy yeah. no, and you won't annoy me and you don't tend to annoy me so I don't call you that very much no. <laughs> yeah I, I think nick claimed it as his own you have to you have to check with him though <laughs> he subtly hinted today didn't he vic on uh, he, his, his it knife. was less than subtle yeah oh, what the, he came up with it yeah or he think I think he I don't know if he maybe he hadn't heard it and and when he said it to you he thought he was the first person to say it. Oh, I don't know. not as far as I'm aware. I, I think it's been used for a while now, and it is filtering through pop culture a little bit because some of the books now kind of mentioned fish twitching in it. And as far as I'm aware, I don't think it was used before. So you know, people who go watching fish, you know, all, all ten of them are, are fish twitchers. Going back to other things you're famous for, the railing footage. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That is now infamous. Yeah. Um, with the gaping grain, although it isn't really excited when it's laying eggs, is it? It's just increasing the oxygen flow over its gills. Yeah. But... It's a really boring answer for a very yeah. funny clip. So it's it just is. these two. So I, I'm not really, I'm not a gamer, but apparently it's kind of took its own life as Pogfish. If anyone who's a gamer listening to this, then that's a thing, apparently. It's on WhatsApp as a GIF. 
I don't get anything for that. I don't know if you make money out of gifts, but if you type in fish, it's one of the first gifts that comes up. And yeah, it was for Springwatch. We did a piece on grayling a few years ago. You know, it took four years to film these spawning grayling. Like I was trying to find the right spots and the right camera angles. And then I, I went to them and said, here's this angle. I went, oh, that's great. Can you do it again? And I was like, it took me four years to do this. So I had to try and do it again. And that's when I got the orgasmic grayling. I, it, it sounds really weird. If you've not watched the clip, you're thinking, why the hell is he talking about an orgasmic grayling? But just type in grayling sex. Hopefully the politician won't come up and you'll be able to see the clip and you'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, oh, yeah. it wasn't intentionally meant to be funny, but it looks a little yeah. bit funny, I guess. Yeah. I've seen. The, I saw the gift come up the other day. That was just random. It was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not surprised. T-shirts in China or something, probably. Oh, and talking of uh, politics, someone asks, "Do you think British fish have now got a blue passport?" Oh, <laughs> I don't you've seen all this. Uh, oh, yeah, apparently, they're very happy now, aren't they? But, oh God, yeah. I don't think. I think it was a rhetorical question rather than yeah, actual. Yeah, yeah. What's his face? Reese Morgan, or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, He's I don't. The bad to... guy in the tennis menace. Isn't he it? needs a tw- he needs a twirly mustache, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? And yeah. He needs to be tying people up to a, a railway line. Is what I kind of see him as doing as a pastime. Yeah. I, hopefully they'll get a blue passport. I mean, why not? Yeah. 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 There's one of these parody news websites. <laughs> There's like a, a UKIP style fisherman going around with harpoons, harpooning any non-British fish that come into our waters because it's British. British yeah. waters are British fish. Yeah, definitely. You don't want like a trout with a beret. <laughs> under its fin we can't have that can we oh god well, they're, they're gonna lose their minds when the swallows come back oh yeah oh yeah no we don't want we don't want those and, uh, and just don't yeah. tell them what's happened with the dragonflies we've had four or five species colonized from europe all right i'm waiting for scarlet darters i'd love oh, yeah. i saw them in hungary and i was like what is that it was you oh. know it was like a neon you think they're on. nice jack um, I've not seen one in the flesh, but a violet drop wing blows it out of the water. And, and they're, that, they're a European one, are they? Yeah, and that species is spreading north quicker than any other. So though it's further oh. south than some of the others, it's spreading north quicker. So it's possible that'll be the next one. Because we have some... had scarlet data here. Have There's you seen something those things? similar. Um, no, I haven't seen the violet drop wing. I haven't seen that in Europe. There is something similar, though, in South Africa. Okay. And it does. It blows your mind when you see this thing. I've actually yeah. photographed something similar in South Africa. And you just like you see it and just like that cannot be real. It's kind of like a deep purple. So, you know, oh, it looks cool. dark and then you look and it hits the light and it just goes. And uh, Christoph Brochard, who's the he's like the man on European dragonflies. He's photographed all of them as the nymphs as well as adults. And okay. he says, I think he says that's his it's up there as his favourites. He says the kind of I'll have to I'll have to Google that. A violet yeah. drop wing. Violet drop wing. Okay. You won't get it. Beautiful. All right. So hopefully that'll be in all, all of our ponds in the next 10 years. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Well, good, I'm yeah. I'm still waiting for a southern migrant hawker to visit my garden because other people around here have had them in their gardens. It's just not yeah. fair. I'm the ethics recorder. Come visit me. On the subject of dragonflies, just quickly, like we, um, you know, like when you build a pond, you always hear that, oh, within a week things will be colonising it. And when I when I moved into the house and I did the pond, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And and literally within a week there was back swimmers, beetles, and there was a big, I don't know what kind it was, it was an emperor or, or, or one of the big ones anyway, and it was overpositing eggs. And I was like, oh, okay, so it is It is true. They do colonise it. And I think, what's that book? A really good book on ponds. The Wildlife uh, Pond book. By George Paul Harris. Howard. And I was reading that, and it, and it said like one of the ways to think about it is that these animals are looking for new ponds to, to kind of colonise, aren't they? So, you know, if you if you build it, they will come. And I was just shocked how quickly yeah, animals had- colonised it. I had little diving beetles swimming around within a week of my pond. Of course, yeah. the running joke with me, of course, is that I've never had a dragon or damselfly visit my pond in really? five, six years. Yeah, don't know why. I, I have dragonflies it... in my garden. I've had common darters, southern hawker, emperor, 
and I'll get migrant hawkers every year as well. So I've had my my species in my garden is like four or five species, but none of them have ever gone near the pond. See, I, I don't I've know what it is. Not when we first built the pond, like the following year, because we didn't kind of put the water in until like July time. But the following year had azure damselflies. Uh, okay actually overpositing in the pond which was amazing i haven't had them since it's like the one and only time they actually came to the pond but then actually had beautiful demoiselle oh yeah they do they do wander from flame water quite a lot especially the males yeah and it, it just saw it out the front of the house and then saw it in the back and then it just disappeared can um, they can they breed in, in still water not, uh, they not very tend often. to pick flowing water uh, okay yeah, not yeah. very often it's usually like a, a pond next to a river if they yeah do breed, yeah maybe. But. Right. Okay. I've not seen it yet, but I know because the females actually go underwater to lay the eggs, don't they? Yeah, someone uh, photographed I, it last oh, year. And I'd love to. What's really annoying, Jack, is I went in a river and was trying to do the same, yeah. and of course I was only up there once every two weeks. Yeah, uh, so. it's the kind of thing you'd, you'd have to be on the river like every day, wouldn't you? And like be watching them and just watch a female, and as soon as she goes under, just get stuck into it. But that would oh, be amazing. I'd love I to do. Just, that. I nearly got one reflected on the surface, but I, the first time I used my camera in a waterproof case, so I'm gonna have to just don the snorkel and just get in there i think and you'd love it uh, mate you'd absolutely love it get stuck oh, in. I, I decided to hold off this year because i thought if i got sick this year i had to go to hostel that probably wouldn't be good form uh, so yeah, yeah, i'll wait till point. next year i'll get ill next year it'll be safe to get ill next yeah exactly you'll be all right, God, be all right. way to think of it but there we go <laughs> it's interesting what you're saying about would they use still water in that i actually see them quite often in the canal yeah, yeah. that's slow we... flow i think they can use that as yeah as it, long it, as it's an area of faster flowing somewhere they're all right i think yeah because we have patches is kind of an avon canal this one but the, always in the stiller areas yeah i think they, they'll they hang around and hunt in the stiller areas there's probably less energy or something but the the banded like silty bottomed rivers so they can't be too far so in any way because the uh, silt will get washed away whereas okay. the beautiful like the stony bottomed which is why yeah. tend to get you know more uh, in the west country you get the banded i have seen beautiful up and down the canal seymour banded but then we've got a few rivers yeah. just over the border into wiltshire don't tell anyone yeah. Um, yeah don't go over the border some lovely places there though because <laughs> <laughs> i live pretty much on the border between somerset and wiltshire anyway because uh, we're Froome is more or less on that board like not even 10 minutes down the road i'm in wiltshire I and mean, there's a really good river there for beautiful demoiselles oh it's funny when i'm photographing the stour depending where i'm in the river it's either eligible or not eligible for essex wildlife trust photo competition because it's all eligible for me to record it and verify it or someone else has to verify it because halfway through the river i'm in another county because <laughs> so, it's the oh. river that borders the county yeah you literally like goes down the middle of the river yeah that's quite fun <laughs> so like, oh, i'm filming in essex oh now i've done a foot to the left i'm now in suffolk <laughs> now i'm back in essex i had that with uh, salmon on the river dove last year because the dove is the border between staffordshire and derbyshire and if i get in off one bank then yeah it's a derbyshire salmon and if i get off the other bank it's a staffordshire salmon so I was like, well, which wildlife <laughs> should i let them know that yeah. i filmed this so i was like well yeah, what, what happens if you film one that's half and half so like half of it's in one and half it's in the other um i guess everyone it's everyone's fish then yeah, yeah. <laughs> well actually the head end is this one and then the yeah. tail end is that yeah definitely i'm just waiting for me to find either a rare bird or a rare dragonfly and it's sitting on the suffolk bank especially if it's a dragonfly that'd be even worse for me when <laughs> like, no come this way <laughs> i want to put you on my records not not the suffolk recorder don't know how but, you lure a dragonfly you have to kind of Act like, he acts like a mosquito. Yeah, be straight on, yeah. Run around, buzzing, bite the fishman. <laughs> like a yeah, be worth a go. <laughs>
we could probably waffle on for another two hours i reckon but i think we'll stop it there so we don't send everyone to sleep but jack it's been an absolute pleasure having you on i'm sure we'll find an excuse to get back on another time yeah um, happy. maybe at some point we might be able to actually get together and do a live together yeah. and to be honest me and jack have been threatening to collaborate on something for how many years oh god yeah <laughs> We'll have to talk something out. Well, we've had a um, couple of adventures, haven't we? Like, we went yeah, looking we for Escalapian snakes and we've did the scorpions. So it'd be nice to... Yeah, an outdoor yeah. podcast would be pretty and good. And you got well, me Well, my... actually, I'd really like the scorpions for my next book. Yeah. Are you, have, you, have you never been, Vicky? No. Oh, you got to go. It's amazing. And and we've got to get the folks and Wallisers on the same trip, I think. Yeah. I think we could do that. Yeah, because they're really the easy. They're really tame. Oh, they are lovely as well. They are yeah. stunning. There's some Jack, Wallisters in, in Bristol, Vicky, as well. Do you know about that? Oh, yes. I had yeah. heard about them, yeah. Someone, someone told me... Um, it's on oh, the bridge, isn't it? Yeah, Clifton Bridge. Last yeah. few years turned up. To go off on a tangent, sorry, you're trying to finish. Yeah. But we're yeah. not going to finish because I've totally forgotten to ask you about your current project. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Britain's Hidden Fishes. It's a... When 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 is this podcast out? By the end of this month, it'll be. Okay, all right. So the project will still be running. So it's a crowdfunder. Essentially, I've been knocking at the door of various production companies for years trying to get a documentary made on, on UK fish and... A lot of them don't want to risk it because they see them as slimy. When obviously I know that there's so much more than that. There's all these incredible behaviours and interesting lifestyles that they have. So it's a crowdfunder to make a one-hour documentary. I kind of liken it to Blue Planet on a much, much smaller budget, but to still have a bit of a cinematic feel. So, you know, lots of drone and lovely sunrises and uh, slow motion underwater shots and all that good stuff. So there's a crowdfunder if you go on Indiegogo, just type in Britain's Hidden Fishes and you can see the film. And There's a lot more information about that. And yeah, if we reach the target, because it's all or nothing, then we're going to do that. And Jeremy Wade, the guy from River Monsters, a biologist and, and famous angler, he's going to be narrating that. So I've kind of got him on board and there's a whole team of camera ops and whatnot. So that's going to be a really interesting project, should it should it happen. And that'll kind of keep me busy for a couple of years, I think, kind of filming that. Oh, and how, how long's the crowdfunder open for? I think it's about 60 days, I think I've, I've done that. So it's going to... I'm planning the 8th of February, but don't hold me to that. But I, I, I think that's when I'm going to launch it. And then it should finish around about the beginning of April. So I'll know by then whether it's happening or not. Yeah, so go check that out, guys. Yeah. And you collaborated on a book recently on fish, didn't you? Which has been plugged by Nick and a few other people as the best book on British freshwater fish. That's probably because I didn't write it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your pictures are in it, though. My, pitch, my pictures are in it, yeah. No, it is a very good book and it's it's very comprehensive. So if you've ever wanted to learn some of the more kind of whimsical stuff, it's all in there, but all the hardcore science stuff's in there as well, like distributions and sizes and measurements. And yeah, it's the complex lives of Britain's freshwater fishers. Mark Everard's the author. He's an amazing guy, fishery scientist. He wrote it and I, I did the majority of the photography for it. And yeah, it's, and, and Nick did a very good, very kind review for that bbc wildlife so i would say it's a good book i'm biased because i want you all to buy it it, it, it was nice it was a good little thing to work yeah. on i haven't had a chance to look through all of it but it's, what i've seen is fantastic uh, i'll have to send you a copy neil yeah Let's i've got a copy i bought but i pre-ordered <laughs> one. Oh right okay yeah send one to vic though <laughs> one one vic i'll send you one there we do but book swap because i don't think yeah. do you have oh, a copy yeah. of mine no, I don't. No, I'd love. That. I'd really like that, honestly. Yeah. If you, uh, let's do. Let's do book swap then. Okay. Swap me address and I'll and I'll, yeah. and I'll send it. Well, I think we will actually finish there. Though. That seems like a good place for it. So, Jack, where can people find you? Uh, my website. I've actually just had a new website done, so it looks a bit more glitzy. So that's jackperksphotography.com, and that's got links to my Instagram and, and Twitter and all that good stuff. And obviously, presumably, if you've made it this far, you quite like podcasts. 
So uh, I also do a wildlife podcast called the Bearded Tits podcast. Both of you have been on as guests in the past and we could kind of have a whimsical chat about wildlife subjects. And yeah, hopefully people might like that as well. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it, guys. I mean, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys about the kind of less champion species. And I think what you two do is is absolutely incredible, you know, both with your photography and, and with this podcast. So, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure when i'm actually driving to work which i'm not doing very much at the moment i've always had your podcast going along with a few others so uh i i have listened to a couple i am guilty that i've not tuned into all of them but i have i've caught a couple of them and i quite yeah. like the and don't take this the wrong way i like the nerdiness of it i like oh, that. that's what we go for <laughs> no, i love it i think it's great that you go full full nerd and you know i think that's that's good well that's what we want to make it accessible but we want to you know throw the nerdiness at it otherwise what's the point in doing a podcast <laughs> yeah let's face it we're both nerdy about yeah. you know that stuff anyway so to be honest if i have my way it'd just be full of references to all sorts of nerdy tv and film as well so uh, if i was a bit quicker on the wit with it <laughs> yeah, that's, it'd probably just be that with a little bit of wildlife in between occasionally okay well finish it there well thanks very much again jack and thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you all next time take care everyone bye Cheers. bye